May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. So before I preach my sermon this morning, I would like to take preacher's privilege and, and, and take this opportunity to thank you all for the prayers, the meals, the cards, the visits, the calls, the rides that I received from you following my surgery. I would like to thank in particular all of those who fed me and my family. We, I've gained weight since the surgery. It's all your fault. Um, but in particular, I'd like to thank Dory, who organized the meal train. And I would like to thank Pat and Dorothy, who became my taxi service, um, taking me to places they probably wish they'd never had to go. Uh, and an extra special thanks to Millie, who put up with all of you while I was gone. But um, took, care of, took care of this congregation, this family, but also was there for me as a spiritual and an emotional support. So thank you all very much. So our reading from the, the Hebrew Bible today is, comes after some false prophets have appeared to the Israelites who are in exile and have told them this is a mistake, basically. They said, you know, don't worry about this. This is about to end. In a couple of years at the most, you all will be back home. I think what kind of happened was God fell asleep for a little while and therefore the Babylonians were able to run you over. But you know what? God is awake now, and things are going back the way they were. Ray, rah, rah. And God said, no. And this is what Jeremiah has been telling the Israelites, that this is not a mistake. Don't sit here and be astounded that you are in exile. Like, what happened to us? This isn't who we are. How did we end up here? There must be some mistake. We are the people of God. And God has always been with us. So clearly, this exile thing is not who we are. Something has gone wrong. And God is saying... This is exactly who you are. You are in exile, not because I fell asleep or because I forgot about you. You are in exile because of your actions. You are in exile because of your inactions. You are in exile because you forgot that you were my people. You are in exile because you lived as though you were like every other nation 
when I had called you to be a model to those nations. You are in exile, not because you simply lacked military prowess. You are in exile because you oppressed the poor, you stole from the widow and the orphan, that you did not keep your covenant with me. You are here, and it's not going to be over in a little while. You are going to be in Babylon for some time. And so I want you to know that this is indeed punishment for your actions. But I also want you to know and remember what kind of a God I am. So while you are in exile, I am not asking you to wear ashes and sackcloths for the whole time you are in exile. I'm not going to ask you to keep fasting and starve yourselves while you are in exile. I'm not going to ask you to whip yourselves daily to show me that you are sorry. I am going to tell you that what I want you to do in exile is live. I want you to live and to live fully. I want you to plant gardens. I want you to get married. I want you to have children, to have birthday parties, to celebrate, to dance, to sing, to pray in Babylon as though you were praying in Jerusalem. I want you to live, to live fully the lives of God's people. First, I want you to acknowledge that this exile is not a mistake. First, I need you to admit that you are paying for your wrong. I want you to stop saying this is not who we are. We're better than this. Because no, you were not better than this. The orphans, the poor, the foreigners in your midst, they can all testify that you were not better than this. But I want you once you have acknowledged and asked for my forgiveness to be in this place fully human, fully living, experiencing the joys of community. I want you to dance. I want you to sing. I want you to say your prayers and call out your psalms. Oh, 
I do want you, though, to be careful. Don't let those Babylonians steal your song. But you, you hold on to the songs of Israel. Hold on to the prayers. Hold on to the relationship that you have with me. I want you to live. To live fully. So this past week, Millie, making me pay for being away for a month, asked me to go and speak to her class at Warren Wilson about the anti-apartheid movement. And this is, how, this is how my sermon preparation goes. So we're sitting in the car, go, driving back, talking about what kind of media and films and podcasts and books are, might, might be available for her students. And I remembered that I actually was part of a group at Berea College when I was a student there who convinced the administration to add in the freshman introductory, introductory course a section on apartheid. And therefore, we actually taught that section to, the different, to, our, to our classmates and colleagues. And in that time, at that time, we decided that the film we were going to choose to show our classmates was called Last Grave at Dimbaza. And that film concentrates on the forced removals of black communities in South Africa who were moved from land and yeah, even from urban areas um, that, the, that the government decided needed to be declared white areas and dumped in the Bantu stands, those places that had no agricultural land, no industry. And Dimbaza was one of those forced settlement places. And in this place, people were dying daily. Babies, children, the old, from malnutrition, from curable diseases. And so we showed this film to our classmates around what apartheid looked like on the ground. And one of the sessions that I was leading, when it came time for question and answers, I had a young woman say, you know, I, I have um, a couple of questions. And so, um, you know, I'm, I'm ready for anything, or so I thought. And she said, you know, two things struck me about that film, and I want you to explain them to me. So there's one scene where there is a man smoking a cigarette, so if they are so poor and suffering, where did he get the money to get a cigarette? And then the other thing was there was a scene in the film where there are a group of people in a room and they are smiling and laughing. So if they're suffering so badly, how can they be smiling and laughing? How can this be the truth? I, I was just like, Exactly. That's exactly how I was. I was like, really? That's the first thing that came to you when you saw this film. And I thought, oh my goodness, this is a perspective about suffering. That if 
you are suffering, you must suffer 100%, 24-7, or it is not real suffering. And it is that kind of perspective on suffering that has made us come up with all kinds of weird policies and approaches to poverty. That when we talked about that time of welfare reform and people were upset because they said people on welfare were buying steaks. Like, okay, so do you think that maybe she budgeted like you budget? and did buy steak for a special occasion. But no, if you are poor and suffering, we need to see that you are suffering. And when we say things like that, my response is, we don't know God. Because our God is a God who says, live. I call you to live in the midst of whatever you find yourself, live, live and remind yourself and those around you that you are a child of God. Live, sing your hymns, say your prayers, celebrate your children's birth, mourn the death of those you love, live, Live. Live whether you are in exile in Babylon. Live whether you are oppressed. Live wherever you find yourself, whatever is happening in your life, people will know that I am God when they see you live. Our God says, don't say this is not who we are. Don't simply say we are better than this. Acknowledge where you have fallen. Acknowledge where my vision has not been your vision. Acknowledge the places that you have wronged me and wronged your sisters and brothers. But in the midst of all of that, I call you to live. Amen.